Cool. All right, Jim. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you for having me on. We've known each other for a while now. This is actually the first time I'm actually in your office. So it is. Thank you for hosting me here. You're in a beautiful part of the the country. We really are. I um, something I noticed when I came to the Sunshine Coast was how nice people are. Mm -hmm. I was walking down the street. When you go through Sydney, people are just rushing past you. In the Sunshine Coast, people are actually stopping to say, oh, hi. I was super confused when it happened it's, a few times. It, it's also really strange the other way around. You know, I've just been in Perth for this week and um, I went for a walk every morning because time different, you get up early and you, you say hello to people and they look at you really weird. <laughs> you, know, like, no. you, you forget you're not on the sunshine. It's <laughs> like, what does he want? Is he going to take something? Oh, that's um, funny. You know, it is, it is a very a very close community here. Everyone's very friendly. So is that a common nice. thing? People are very open? Yeah, and... everywhere around the coast here. It's very, very much everyone's very friendly. Everyone says good morning, you know, wants a little chat about the day. Yeah. Um, it's nice. It's a nice part of the world. It, it Best is, part it, of the world. It's nice. It's just a bit confusing at the beginning. I yeah, was like, no. That's probably my Sydney side coming out. It is a beautiful spot. I think, you know, I've, I've traveled the world. I have, um, both with the military and, and other reasons. And yeah, this is paradise for me. This is where this is where we want to want to be. Awesome. Yeah. So so just for the listeners, I just want to give a rundown on who is Jim Lee, what is the fleet office, and, and where are we right now? Yeah, no problem at all. So... Um, Obviously, I'm Jim. I'm 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 42 years old. I'm the managing director and founder of the Fleet Office. Um, I'm originally from the UK. I've lived over here in Australia for just just under 12 years. Um, married an Australian girl. That's uh, that's why we came over. Um, and yeah, I, I I started the Fleet Office along with my wife um, seven years ago. Next month, uh, and uh, and here we are. The Fleet Office is a technology company focused um, on building um, software and hardware for anyone with a fleet of equipment, a whole heap of assets. Um, and that's it in a nutshell, really. Okay, and so in terms of the evolution of you getting into the fleet side, you mentioned you moved over here from the from the UK. So how did that, what, what were you doing in the UK originally? Yeah, well, in the UK, I was in the military from a very young age. I joined the army at 16. Um, wow. I served for 14 years, uh, various conflicts, various places around the world. Um, had a great time, had a great career. Um, I'd, I'd realized I'd had enough. Um, various roles there, uh, bomb disposal, but my, my background was in the Royal Engineers. As, as a young soldier, before I became an officer, I trained as a diesel fitter. Um, it's quite funny because at the time my stepdad said to me, why would you be a diesel fitter? You'll never make money doing that. And here they are in Australia making more than doctors, but um, that's another story. Um, yeah, so I my, my last uh, deployment was to Afghanistan. I went over there um, and one of the biggest challenges was maintaining our plant and equipment for the engineering squadron we were there with um, in such remote locations. Um, and I think if you come to Australia and work in central Queensland, it actually pips what it was like in <laughs> Afghanistan. Um, although the locals are friendly, except maybe Gympie, I'm not sure they can be a bit rough up there. But, um, but no, that, 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 that sort of uh, being in equipment, being a diesel fitter by trade, really has helped me um, with this business. Um, Primarily, I guess, I, I, I did the diesel fitter thing. I worked in the mines for a little while in the maintenance out there. And then I ran a fleet as a fleet manager here, a very large fleet in Queensland. Um, and when I looked at getting into the technology side of things, I thought it would be great if someone could translate. I think tech people make tech great, but not necessarily mm. as user-friendly for the client. Um, me being a bit of a not not 
super sharp with the tech side of life enables me to do the design on our products so that our users are happy users. Uh, and I think if you speak to any of our customers when they get into our software, it's wow, it's easy to use. This is really straightforward. This podcast episode was sponsored by Boom and Bucket. I love that name. Such a good name for a company. Boom and Bucket. Boom and Bucket was started by two ex-Caterpillar employees and is the easiest way to buy and sell heavy equipment. If you're selling, Boom and Bucket will inspect, photograph, market and sell your machine so you can focus on your rental business. If you're looking for new equipment, Boom and Bucket has hundreds of inspected and guaranteed machines that you can browse and buy from your phone. See why the average buyer gives Boom and Bucket a 9.5 out of 10 review. Check them out at boomandbucket.com. Um, and, and, and my career path allowed me just to fit naturally into that role. Wow. So let's, let's talk about Afghanistan for a little bit. So, yeah, sure. So what does a fleet manager over in the... How do you manage fleet in, 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 the, in the Middle East and like that? Like, why oh, does well, work? yeah, it, it's tough. Um, obviously, you, the resources are very limited. Um, the biggest challenge we had in, in Afghan were batteries because batteries in that heat boil over, you lose uh, battery acid, you can't fly battery acid anywhere, no aircraft's allowed to take it, so mm. things like that. But, the, the, you know, the, the, the challenges are there. Um, we worked out that, you know, when we went into Afghan to do our tour, you do a six-month tour and you take over from the last squadron, and we realised that the machines hadn't been out from the forward operating bases for a very long time because it's so hard to move them but they all really needed that midlife. They all needed that. that. So there was a big logistics plan we put in to, to rotate all the machines around and they were just constantly breaking down, hoses popping. You know what it's like. Mm. With, if you don't maintain your equipment, it's just going to fail you. And when you're building protective walls around facilities, they need to work. Otherwise, the boys are on the shovel 24-7 and, and, and that yeah. can't work either. So it is a challenge. It's, it's a huge logistics challenge. And um, also somewhere like that, communication is also key. Um, I, I was a squadron two IC out there and obviously um, uh, that's fairly high up uh, in the role. However, when I was out on the ground being a diesel fitter, if something needs fixing, you know, you got to fix it. I remember replacing a, a clutch on a, on a Bedford truck um, because the fitters out there had never seen an old Bedford four ton, but because I was one of the older guys, I'd, I'd worked on wow. them during my apprenticeship. So, you know, when you're out there, it's, it's just about getting the job done and, and trying to keep everyone safe. You know, a big mix out in Afghanistan of, of what you're doing in an engineering squadron. Um, uh, which kind of led on to my last role in the military before I came over here. I was put into a training um, establishment to get people ready to go to Afghan, basically teach them how to build bridges without equipment because everything that you have in Afghan has to fit in a, in a shipping container. Um, if not, the locals can't get it to you, so there's mm -hmm. no... Yeah, if it isn't in a container, it gets stolen or it gets robbed. And that, you're stuck, so designing bridges that could be built with something you know you've got a span of 40 meters but you've only got girders that are eight yeah. meters long and so on and so on and and that was that was a bit fun kind of got me that's probably the most technical job i've done um and then yeah met a met an aussie girl and uh decided to come over here wow so, so what's it like managing a fleet in afghanistan compared to managing a fleet in australia when you came over like what's the comparisons i think the um i think some of the challenges are, are eerily similar. Um, when I looked after the fleet for Shadforce, we had um, a, a fleet of stabilizers out in Winton. Um, so, you know, getting someone to those machines, which were very, very important, you know, a stabilizer's got six or seven other machines around it that rely on it. It's the primary machine in the chain. Mm. Um, if that goes down, you've got to get to it quick. Uh, you, you have to think outside the box, you know, using a little 
private planes to fly fitters out to it actually saves you a whole heap of money and I think I think that sort of set me pretty well um, obviously the the main difference is no one's trying to blow you up <laughs> over it. here. You don't have to spend two days removing the armor of the machine before you can get to the engine bay, wow. <laughs> which is good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've worked on a lot of equipment as a fitter, um, armory, uh, armored machines, tanks, all that sort of stuff, all the way up to the, the, the latest equipment. Um, but yeah, the, the challenges are, are eerily similar, you know, particularly where, you know, we work here everyone kind of ends up with machines that are quite remote we only have a few a handful of customers that would only work in cities um, and knowing the state of the machine understanding what's going on with it how it's being used allows you to plan so much better and make the right decisions and, and get ahead and you know that's probably what spurred me on to use some telemetry mm. the, fir the first gps tracking um, we use was actually um, in Iraq in 2003, the first time I saw it, and the Americans had it in everything. They put this big box in the back of our vehicles. I was bomb disposal there, obviously, so you're moving along at the front, um, and they don't want to blow you up, so they put this big box in the back, and all of a sudden you come up on the screen. I was like, wow, this is cool. Wow. And for them, that was just every vehicle. I was in the British Army, so not so much. <laughs> Their budget's a little bit smaller, but um, that was the first time I saw it. I thought it was pretty bloody cool. Wow. Well, when I walked into your office, it was quite funny. We, we saw a machine across the road, and then I jokingly said, is one of your trackers in there? And then you're like, yeah. So yeah, that's quite yeah, amazing. Yeah. You've got quite a large reach now in, in the Queensland community. Yeah, oh, Australia-wide, I think we're, we're, we're pretty strong. As I said, I've been to Perth this week just because that's an area because of the border restrictions that we've, we've fallen behind in. Um, I think we're, we're deploying hardware around about the, the 17,000 level now. So 17,000 assets out there with, with our units in. Um, Queensland, yeah, very strong. I love driving, you know, with, with friends. I, I, they probably don't enjoy it so much, but I go to Brizzy, um, drive down the Bruce Highway and all the machinery that you look at left or right of the road that's, you know, doing the construction work pretty much um, has got our, our telemetry in. Mm. Um, because it's, it's the best for the industry, without doubt. You know, there's, there's no one can really compete um, because it is built specifically for the construction industry. And then there's two components to that because anyone can, can get a, a piece of hardware and chuck it in the back of a machine. It, but the software component is a big part of that Massive integration. So yeah. do you want to explain the differences between just chucking in some GPS units and yeah, actually sure. having software side? Absolutely. Well, the GPS units, um, they became important to us. So the, the, the fleet office was called the fleet office because we were a fleet management company. That's what we wanted to do. And when I first started the business, I went to market. I checked every um, potential uh, tracking unit and I just couldn't find anything that fit the bill that I wanted it to do and I got frustrated so I thought ah, I'm just gonna make my own it'll be easy uh, it wasn't easy it was actually pretty tricky but we we did it and we built it specifically for the Australian construction industry we did some pretty smart stuff that even seven years later people still aren't haven't clicked on to and how important it is but you know with with mine to keeping your hour meters exactly the same as the machine it, 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 we use some technology there that, that does that every single time and if you speak to people who use other tracking units they say oh yeah the hour meter drifts out every now and then and that's unacceptable to me everything mm. about that machine works off of the hour meter it needs to be bang on so we we did some stuff there i got some help uh, on that to, to work that out a very good friend of mine called steve who uh, a very smart guy helped me help me design our, our our boards there um but yeah that the hardware is all about getting objective data in um whether it be just basic hours and location, like many of our customers are happy with that, all the way up to we do full remote control of assets through that hardware. You know, we 
rev engines up, down, turn on, off, generators, lighting towers, frost fans, dredge pumps, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's all about bringing that data in. Once that data's come in and it's objective, you can start to do things with it. For us, the challenge over time has been defining what is actually the core of what we want to do for our customers. So yes, we have the GPS tracking. We're also taking tracking data from other systems. We're, we're not fussy about that. If you've spent money on a box of made of plastic and you don't want to do it again, if we can access that data, we'll bring that in alongside. We do it for all the big OEMs, do it for you know Komatsu, for Volvo, for Caterpillar. We take their data in too. They've all got pretty good systems. Once it's in there, we get to really analyze that data and let you do what you want to do. If you're a higher business, that data feeds into our higher ERP, starts to populate your contracts. It starts to capture your stand downs that someone's called up, but the machine's been used. Um, it starts to uh, add extra hours that are above your maximums for a monthly billing period, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things that um, most people do okay but most people know at some point mm -hmm. they've missed revenue. You don't anymore because a system doesn't miss it ever. It yeah. sees it coming every single time. Um, obviously, those things go on to uh, formulate your maintenance plan. We know that every asset out there, the 18,000, we know when the next service is. We bring in the OEM service schedules and we know what date, because we get a usage profile, what date that next service is going to be. It'll give you a nudge, tell you what spares you're going to need in that time. That's become increasingly important because the amount of spares um, becoming available, obviously there's been massive shortages. The further out you know, the better. People don't mind having an extra service kit on, on the shelf now because they know they might not get one when the time comes. Um, you know, we've also just having a look at your fuel burn and your efficiency, that's becoming more important every single day. Drive past the, the fuel station and you get a reminder of that every single day, how important mm. that's becoming. Uh, over time, you know, with the fuel burn and efficiency component, um, I look at it and I see the hours on the machine that are wasted as the life of the machine because you're going to replace that excavator at 8,000 hours. If you do 2,000 of those hours of idle, wow, what a wasted opportunity. That's just dead hours. Turn the machine off. And most people just see the fuel burn. Um, I see the fact that you don't have as many fitters because your service intervals are, f are further apart. Mm. People see the fuel burn and they just see that dollar. It's the low-hanging fruit and it's the easiest one to go to people and say, look, we're going to save you this but the bigger savings are actually in the life of the machine and the maintenance yeah. of the machine. Um, but now the fuel burn's catching up with me. <laughs> so they're right. Yeah, that's it. So, so look, I heard a rumor that you actually started the fleet office by selling your wife's yeah. RAV4. Is this true? Can you talk me true. through that process? It is true. Where do you hear that? No, that is true. Yeah, we, um, we, we uh, knew we needed a little bit of money. Um, and, and, you know, we'd... Um, Angela was a teacher, uh, and we just had our first son, so she wasn't working. And, and yeah, we uh, come to an agreement that it would be okay to sell that car, because it was a fairly nice new car. Uh, and we, we used that money to buy our first 100 um, tracking devices, because wow. uh, you had to buy 100 at a time, and they're not cheap. So we used that money to buy that and took a deep breath uh, and worked hard. And, and we worked really, really hard. You know, it's, um, I see a lot of people that Particularly now that we've, you know, we've got to where we are, we're very successful. We've got a really, really good customer base, um, and it's a subscription model. So, you know, we're in a pretty secure place now. Um, but in the early days, we worked hard, really wow. hard. So, so when you think back to the time that you sold your Rav4 to yeah. start the company, or to buy the assets for the company, and then you look at it now, and you've got thousands of machines 
the fact that you can drive down the highway and know that you're the fleet officer is serving that company like how does that make you feel like knowing that transition uh, i think um not not every day obviously because most days we we preoccupy ourselves with what needs to be done next or, or what's yet to do but i'd say i've taught myself um to period periodically kind of check in on that and and actually sometimes just sit and think about that and i i, I you know even being here today and 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 hopefully some people will, will, will want to hear this story because you know it is it is quite a quite an interesting one but you know just the thought of sitting here and being able to have the privilege to talk about our journey um it, it, it is a really good feeling there's there's a lot of satisfaction in what we've done i do like when I, when i go away on a trip normally it's to see people that want to come on board with us um but i always make sure wherever i go i check in with our customers that are already on board and that's becoming more difficult as we go because we're probably just over 600 uh, larger size companies on with us now so it is hard to get around and see everyone but when i do you know they just kind of especially the, the longer serving customers they just got full of praise they love where the software has gone compared to where it started um and and it, it is a really good feeling there's a lot of satisfaction in what we do now a yeah. lot it's very good and so talk me through the original team and what does the team look like now uh, the original team was was pretty much me um at night my my wife um would would help me you know assemble devices um late into the night and then i'd get up at you know three or four in the morning hit the road and do some fitting um finish up go and do some consulting and some training and then back you know and that that, that was it we had um, one software developer who um, I'd worked with previously and he had retired and I said um, I reached out to him because he decided to retire he's going to take a boat around the world and I tr thought I'll give him a go I might he might be on land somewhere and I phoned him I said Look, hey Patrick uh, I'd really really like some advice on who I should use for this idea I've got and he said well got to be honest I didn't really like sailing much so I sold that boat and I'm I'm available and free and let's get into it so the first couple of years was actually uh, me and one dev really really kind of close working and getting a solution that we knew um, the industry needed uh, and, and that was actually quite a powerful thing I think if I would have come with a lot of funding and built a project and started a team we wouldn't have got the the real raw product that we've got which hits the mark mm. um, I think it, it it would still have been something that the industry used, but n not to the extent where everyone just gets it. Um, so yeah, and then we started to expand and put more people on. We're, we're currently sitting at 22 people, mainly developers, uh, because we've got so many products now, we need a product lead in each one, uh, and, and then usually a junior alongside to help them out in the day-to-day -day coding. Um, we are, I'd say, only recently um, complete as a product. We've finished our last sort of major product um, there's a couple there that haven't been released yet and you know we're big inventory system um, an ordering system that we we're, we're excited to to launch um, but yeah and, and and that means we're really in a period of, of maintenance and improvement um, as you probably know we we launch um, or we release updates pretty much every Thursday uh, probably drives our clients crazy with the amount of emails they get like you know you asked for this particular thing to be done this way it's now available for you to do it that way um, and our improvements um, cannot come from this building our improvements must come from our customers uh, we've got a we've got an internal thing called a feature meter um, and whoever's asking if we have three people asking for the same thing that goes to the top of the list and sorry guys whatever you were working on isn't being done it's this thing that the customers will want um, and, and that's always uh, always done 
we've always done really well by that, by just listening and building exactly what they need. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so actually coming from the industry and understanding what it means to manage fleet and then building a company around an actual understanding of the industry, how much has that given you a competitive advantage when you're working with these businesses? Uh, I, I, think, I think just being able to sit with the people and they look you in the eye and understand you get it, the frustrations have been shared, the reason for this company and the reason for this software is the same thing that's given them headaches that day. You know, that's why I went through those headaches. I understood. So it's a, it's a massive advantage. You know, I, I, I know that when I go and see, um, see potential clients and, and sit in a room and chat to them, it's very easy for me to understand where they are at. Um, it is a little bit surprising that still some people are so far behind. Um, some people have running their sheet off an Excel spreadsheet and, and hoping um, hoping that you know the, the operator is going to phone up and tell them that a service is overdue because a sticker in the window and things like that. But it, it, there's no crime in that. There are a lot of businesses that are doing really well and they just haven't had that time to invest in their fleet. Um, the assets that they've got in their fleet are probably the most expensive things they'll own in their life. Mm-hmm. So it's good that a lot of people understand that and are happy to invest a bit of a bit of time more than anything. I think most of our customers, when you go and see them, it isn't about the money, you know, when a high cost item, it's that time that they know they need to throw at it to, to get it going. And the ones that do commit or commit a resource to it are the ones that do best in mm. our view. Yeah, so what talk me through the onboarding process because a couple of things here with the older machines, a lot of them weren't fitted out with, with telematics. A lot yep. of the, the new OEMs are, are providing offerings. And I think the fact that you said that you have like an aggregation tool to, to be able to pull that data in is a, is a huge advantage uh, for your company. But let's say I'm a, I'm a construction company uh, or a fleet company or a hire company, whatever I'm doing, and I've got a bunch of uh, excavators uh, and I don't have any telematics on there. Like, what is the process for me to actually get them installed and rolled out? Yeah, well, um, that, that's, that's, that's something... A lot of people probably misunderstand that the, the key part for us isn't isn't the telemetry straight away because that's always going to take time. Your machines are working. If they're in a yard somewhere, you shouldn't be hiring us because you need to look at getting those machines out working, right? Um, the, the the key thing is to put in our our sort of asset register. Once you digitize where you store your fleet, you know our our base product TFO Lite uh, is ninety nine dollars a month, unlimited assets, and for 100 bucks a month if you can't afford that there is an issue um with that you have an asset register it's all digitized you can put all the information up all the photos up you can store all your documents about the equipment uh, in electronic version operate maintenance manual we send you a sticker for each machine with a qr code on it so anyone can walk up see when the last pre-start was done have a look at the quick hitch manual that you put online all of that stuff you can do your finance on there you get the plant hazard assessment builder that's all included in that i mean the only competitor to us in building plant hazard assessment or plant risk assessment is plant assessor and, and they do it very very well but we are one thousandth of the of the cost to do that and it's included in our software so that's that's the key thing is to get people away from a spreadsheet that keeps crashing away from documents on paper somewhere and actually bring them forward there once their fleets upload and we've got a whole heap of really cool upload tools that take that excel spreadsheet you've got make sense of it and bring it into our system so that you can start to do it from anywhere in the world all cloud-based and that's the first part the telemetry, if they want the telemetry, they don't have to have it. You can manually input um, our media. You can do it via your pre-starts. But if you want to have the telemetry and sort of go with the, the, the premium side of life, 
we just um, train normally their fitters on how to do it. Our telemetry, the, the, although the, the technical component's done by much smarter people than me, the fitting part of it is done by me, because I'm a diesel fitter, and I wanted diesel fitters to be able to fit these products. Auto electricians, a little bit more expensive, a little bit more, you know, mm. harder to get hold of. So um, they're really straightforward. You know, if it's in the light vehicle fleet, you're plugging them in. You plug and play. We give you a Y-splitter cable for the diagnostics port, and that's it, good to go. If it's a big, heavy piece of equipment, um, you've got four wires that you connect up. Um, and those, we, we still like to wire those up in a certain way, make sure they're mind-spec compliant, make sure they're always powered, make sure the hour meters are bang on. Um, and obviously, they come in a really kind of um, high-rated waterproof dustproof box because that machinery is out working in some of the hardest conditions in the world mm. um that takes time yeah we we try and say look you know if you if it's a big company you don't need to buy the 700 trackers you want right now buy 20 a month do do, do it that way if you need more we'll send you more but it's going to take time so start the journey early start fitting when once that data starts filtering in and all of the processes within our software start to happen the person that is has only called you because they're pulling their hair out suddenly de-stresses they're no longer doing data entry they know the information they're getting is is good uh, and and the journey begins we're really modular as well you know even yesterday really big company looked at our software right we want tracking we want main we want the admin and we want hire all of those components and they have to slow them down sell it it's all modular so let's start here and let's finish here. And it is going to take some time, but if you try and do it all at once, you'll fall over because you know you're 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 changing your business. You're you're modernising the way that you look after your equipment, um, and your people will break. So let's do it bit by bit. And I think that's the the greatest part of our software is that it is modular. Once someone starts on the journey with us, they the very very few companies that that. that start with tracking and finish with tracking you know most people will get the tracking and they're, they're on the app and go oh, you do timesheets i didn't realize can i have a look at those and they do the timesheets through the app um, or the dockets or um, nearly nearly everyone understands the requirements about electronic pre-start so that's you know pretty straightforward for us a lot of people now use our electronic pre-start tool um, which keeps me awake at night because if it ever has a problem like all software does, um, there are a lot of people out there that, that would ring us up pretty much immediately. Mm. Yeah. Well, so I think one of the, the big things that really impresses me is the fact that you aren't trying to push everything all at once. Like you know that there's a business out there that could use everything, mm -hmm. but you realize that it could be critical to the relationship and the, and the success of the project by trying to focus on the most important areas first yep. and not pushing tracking. No. And that's a, that's a great mentality to build a long-term partnership. Yeah, if, we've, if they've got tracking and it's okay, um, you know there are there are some pretty bad solutions out there. Um, but generally speaking, if it's doing the job that they want, we will import that data. Over time, they're going to replace that unit with our unit because our units are 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 a bit better, and they're only doing sort of five or six here or there. Um, so we know that relationship is is all that really matters. We, you know, we've lost. I think. Over the seven years, we've probably lost about five companies that have gone, and I think all but one would would have been unfortunately because they're no longer in business. You know, wow. I, I, we just don't have any sort of churn in our business because that's that's what it's all about is about you know that relationship, and I I really enjoy that. I really love being able to go and see people. Like I I thought I was going to have a fairly relaxed week in Perth. 
man, it was chaos because that people hear you there and they come on, let's go and have a beer. I haven't seen you since the higher expo. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, 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 and I do enjoy that part of it because, you know, work, work or owning a business is still work. You do this for more, more hours in your day than you spend with your kids or your wife or your partner. Um, so you have to love what you do. Um, and I definitely love that part of it. I, I love the industry. I love the people in the industry, you know, that the hire industry and the construction industry in Australia, I think, is, is where some of the best humans in the world end up. Um, true people, you know, real people. That's amazing. So, I yeah, love it. No, love it, it is cool. It's so cool. so let's laser in on some of these products because some cool. of them jumped out at me. So let's start with QR codes. Yep. I think that's something that a lot of companies would love to roll out but don't even know where to start. Yep. So let's say I've got a bunch of fleet and I want QR codes on there. Firstly, let's figure out what's the purpose yep. of these QR codes and what I'm actually getting for them. And then secondly, how do I actually get these QR codes to print and get them on my on my machines? Yeah. Because we can't just use a normal printer for these. No, no, well, that's that's pretty straightforward. We, we, we just do it for you. <laughs> and it's much easier that way. Uh, we, we know that the QR codes we have, you'll see them around the office on various services because we've been through testing. Um, we had the QR codes probably for about four years now. Um, and it was very frustrating because I was trying to get people to put them on their machines and everyone's like, I don't want to download an app. And, and then COVID came and you have to understand what a QR code is if you want to go and get a burger. Um, and all of a sudden our world changed. Everyone wants QR codes. Um, a QR code simply um, directs you to a website, a URL. Um, in that URL, we give you the opportunity to store any documentation or information that you deem to be safe for public. Obviously, everything else we have, we don't want to share with the public. So we, we're very careful in training you how to do that bit. But yeah, for the actual QR code stickers themselves, when you come on board, we say, what, you know, make sure you've uploaded all your assets because we're going to use your asset list to print off the asset ID, the rego, and then you get a little present in the post. Um, you know, in some cases, we, we, we look after a, a, a fairly large hire company um, called Benetti's, and they um, they wanted four QR stickers per asset because they actually use that process. You know, we've got the on-hire, off-hire app and, and stuff like that. Um, they wanted that QR code for that reason, and, and they've really embraced it. They, they made a little video about it. It was really good to see. Um, and, and obviously, we couldn't really afford to... to, to to buy four for their thousand assets or whatever they have um so they just phoned us up and said we'll just place the order for you and every now and then they'll phone up and say we've bought another 50 assets here's the asset ids can you just print them off we've got a really good printing company that does that for us um but yeah the 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 process of testing those stickers was a fun one because they're double-sided goes on the window so you can see it obviously if you're inside the cab you can scan it at the same time quite often it's the operator who's going to use it as much as um anyone else and uh and and oh and s obviously they, they, they like to walk up to the machines. Mm. The, 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 the good other component of that is by having that public URL with our, our bigger companies on the coast that are working for the tier ones, they will, when they put six machines on site, they will also send, instead of sending them paperwork about the maintenance, they will give them those URLs. So that company can now look at the URL anytime they want rather than every three months say, can mm. you send us your updated service history? Um, so it's all digitized, it's all live. You see when a pre-start's been done in the morning. Um, and, you know, a anyone who's been on site to audit loves it. A lot of um, a lot of the safety audit companies have, have approached us sort of, you know, can we sell this for you? Uh, and it's right. not really how we work because yeah. we'd lose that relationship. But um, it's good to know that they think so highly of it. All right, so the next area I want to talk about, obviously fuel prices are going up. Mm. Uh, and it's a big challenge for a lot of businesses. 
I've seen so many videos about even just truck drivers publishing how much it costs to, to fuel a, a tanker and those sort of things. So that's crazy. So you've got a couple of things around fuel within the fleet office. Can we you do. talk how that can help a business uh, manage their their fleet? What what we do there is we. Um, it's, it's a more complicated telemetry device that we have to fit and it takes into account all components of that machine. Um, if it's cement blower or it's got a refrigerator on it and that component's treated as plant and whether it's on-road or off-road, um, we have an offering through those guys. But they, they mainly take care of that for us. They're larger fleets that they're doing the tax for. Um, then The next one would be um, we have a, a really good partnership with refueling solutions um, whereby... Uh, when they're dispensing fuel to our clients, obviously we know that the amount that goes into the, the tank is accurate um, and we are able to get that data from them, uh, merge it with our utilization data and we can see if there is any disruption to the normal burn rate. Um, the piece there is, is mainly around fuel theft um, because that, that's happening uh, a lot at the moment and it will happen even more so now fuel prices have gone up. And, and we get really good information about how much fuel is going into a machine. We can see how many seconds it's running for, so we get a really good accurate burn rate. Uh, another component of that is that we are able to amalgamate all of that data and um, identify how much of a carbon footprint a particular site has, has, has had. And our more switched on customers have embraced that and they take that data forward. And when they're tendering for a project, um, they will offset that carbon and become a carbon neutral um, worksite which the if it's a federal job the government will actually pay for so there's no loss of income for mm -hmm. them they will say that it's, it's a green site you know um, there's there's a lot there's a lot riding on this in this country about being carbon neutral um, and and the promises that people have made and um, mm -hmm. so you know if you're going to work for uh, coals for instance they promise to be you know, carbon zero by 2025, which is is a big shout. Um, so it's becoming more and more important. Um, the last one, which is a, is a product we're about to launch, and there'll, there'll be a lot of fanfare about this, is that we know the, the, the fuel burn rates for just about every make and model out there. We know how well they're working within your fleet. We've got the utilization and the efficiency data. Um, we take all of that information um, and we put it against your what, what it's costing you to buy a liter of fuel at the moment, and we can tell how well you guys are operating against your competitors. So of all of our company data that we've got in there, just around how many hours they're working, how efficient they are, obviously we'd never share personal company data, we can put you on a graph and show you how well you're performing and then convert that to how much extra you're spending on fuel to do the same thing as your competitors. Um, and, and that's really cool. That's a really cool thing. I know that the, the, the owners of, of the businesses that we look after will be very interested in seeing that because it's a, a platform where you can drill down and see exactly where the money's going. Oh, it happens to be that dozer on that site that gets sat idling for six hours a day. We need to get someone down there just to have a chat. Mm. And, and you've got a figure. Do you understand it's costing us $9,462 a month extra because you're not switching your dozer off when you go to the crib hut? You know, and, and these things still happen. They do. Um, our, our, our most switched on companies are already ahead of that. You know, something's idling for 30 minutes. They get a phone call, turn your machine off, you know, and, and that, that's, that's a really good thing to see. Um, it, it doesn't have to be about hammering the guys. Sometimes it's just about educating the guys, you know, showing them, hey, this is how much money you're wasting by doing that. And the people around you aren't wasting that money. So could you not do it? You know, 
sometimes it's about educating the management. Why are, why are all the machines idling? That's because you haven't put aircon in the crib hut. No one wants to be in there. Summer, you know. Sometimes it's just yeah. When we um, I think we looked at the, the downer mining dozer fleet. They built a very good case study very quickly to have battery powered um, air conditioners in their dozers because they were I think two grand to buy and install, um, whereas they were wasting more than that in fuel per month. Right. So so you know it is about that information, getting that objective data in, and saying look this this it's a numbers game the numbers don't lie it, it makes sense to do this let's spend the money uh, and save in the long term and and now that the um the price of fuel has gone up there's no argument there really isn't you've got to save every liter you can because the job that they're doing on today's fuel prices was tendered on fuel prices from a year ago which just means that every liter of fuel they're burning is is now cutting into their margin on that job that they planned for wow that's that's so accurate so one of the things that I think a lot of companies struggle with is they, they roll out these solutions and they've got this data-rich system, mm. but they don't know how to use the data. Yep. It sounds like with the fleet office, you're actually helping your end customers analyze their data and help make decisions. It's the only way. That's, that's probably something that a lot of people struggle with. So is that something that you did from day one? Um, not as well as we should have. You know, I think because I, I, I very much had the fleet manager mindset and I was used to you know, having a look at the data and, 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 and throwing a pivot table in on an Excel spreadsheet and coming up with the answers I needed, going to the directors and saying, hey, here we are, this is the situation. Um, what we have done is we've broken it down into the areas and when you open up a particular product now, you are shown what we believe to be the most important components of the data. For instance, if you open up our hire platform, uh, Fleet Hire, it immediately tells you how much that you're going to make how much revenue you're going to make that month and the month after based on your current contracts. Some people open that and go, shit, I thought I was doing really well because they've had a busy couple of months, um, but they're not looking ahead enough to know. Also on the right-hand side, it's showing you your assets that are currently idle by their um, revenue per hour or what you'd normally charge per hour. So if you've got that machine that you forget about, that grader um, is at the top of the list, so it stands out to you and it, and it gets those people using that product to think in the right space if you open up fleet maint the first thing it shows you is how many work orders you've got open in total um, you hit the you hit the uh, dashboard on that and immediately you can see how many of the pre-starts your guys are doing are, are, are resulting in a uh, a defect um, I, I say when I train or when I demo if it's more than five percent of your pre-starts are resulting in a defect you need to look at your whole um, asset uh, strategy you're, you've either got assets that are too old or you're not maintaining them properly because most pre-starts should just be a daily check. Mm. It should be less than 5% of them that result in a defect. Um, and, and it's interesting to see that journey and the different people in the way they embrace that. Some people are like, oh my God, there's so many work orders. I'm like, All of those work orders that are coming out now because you've digitized the process, the problem was always there. They just had no way of telling you. And that little issue you know, that the, the grease nipple has been knocked off that, that ram, that, that, that little issue will soon become a very big issue. So everyone being able to report and take a quick photo on their phone is actually immensely important. Mm. The good thing is that I can give it to the fleet manager via an email, via a notification, and that person can make a decision what to do about it. So yeah, we, um, I'd say our biggest failure, and this is quite funny, is, a, is around our driver behavior. Um, we spent a lot of time building a way of giving a star rating to employees and, and how they drive, obviously based up about how many alerts or how many infringements that they make over the amount of kilometers that they drive. So that it's all fair, all, all, all in the same metric. And it is 
very good and very accurate, but we don't have any companies that publicize it and use it because the managers are usually at the very bottom of the list with the driver behavior. <laughs> so they're too embarrassed to say, hey, look, you know, these people, you know, need to improve their driving. Uh, quite often they'll pick the top five. Um, I, I was actually in with a customer yesterday and I said, what, what, what do the top five drivers in your uh, organization all have in common? And they were all ladies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it was like you know that's uh, that goes against the the older view of of women drivers. They're actually the ones that are they're looking after the equipment far better. And you know there's a lot of rumblings around that. People know that. But um, but yeah, I'd say that's the only one. I, I wish that if it wasn't for the fact that the managers get more or, or, or drive the equipment a little bit rougher uh, mm. than everyone else, then that piece of of software that's excellent would be. Uh, you know, shared more widely and people would know where they stand. Mm. And then so on timesheets and pre-starts, a big area that a lot of companies struggle with is, is handwriting these timesheets mm. or dockets. Mm. Um, the the delay that I typically see is if you handwrite something, it can be a week or two weeks before you bill that yep. contract. So that's part of the solution as well to be able to actually get something digitized in the field and then bill accurately same day, next day. Correct, yeah. And, and quite often have a... Um, have some proof there have a, have two signature boxes one for the client you know if you're on a wet hire job you sent a machine out the, the supervisor can sign off on on that day that gets attached to the contract within our hire platform um you know i think genuinely a lot of people fight about revenue or, or or an invoice just because of a lack of communication or a mistake is made and eventually you get to the point but it's that frustration and that time that it takes you to get there the idea behind what we do is make it really clear you know, for instance if you've got a you're wet hiring someone um, a roller and they phone up in the morning because it's a bit rainy and say oh, we're not going to use this we'd like to stand it down they're within their rights of the contracts get stood down 10 o'clock that day finds up a little bit they decide to use it no one ever phones up and goes oh i am using that roller now they just don't even think to do that it's mm -hmm. up to you to to ensure that you get paid for it um our system will actually send uh, an automated response to the client say hey look you know the machine looks like it's being used if you've got any query we're going to cancel the stand down for you if you've got any queries please contact us it'll also annotate that at the bottom of the invoice so when it comes to getting paid you know so and so put a, a stand down in via the portal um, however the machine was used for six hours that day from this time till this time so the stand down was cancelled there's no question there's no back and forth there's no you know there's no someone not paying a $10,000 invoice over a 150 day one line item, which is, is the frustration that you used to have. Um, we, we try to eradicate that. And as far as the dockets and the timesheets and the pre-starts, we also like to pre-populate them as much as we can. Like we know where they are. We know what job site they're on because of the geofence. We know what machine they normally use. So that's the first one that's gonna pop up when they're filling it in because everyone makes mistakes. The more data, the more you can pre-populate that timesheet, that docket or that pre-start, the less chance there is going to be of that mistake. Um, so that's really important to us too. Mm. So so what advice would you have to for a fleet company that's looking at digitizing their processes? Because a lot of challenges is there's, there's been paper-based processes for a long time. There's a bit of an old school mentality. The fleet manager knows he needs to digitize something. What is the, the typical process or advice that you would give to a fleet manager? Um, I, I think I've learned that firstly, the, the influence that the, the owner or the senior manager needs to understand it. They can't be behind on it. They have to understand it and lead the way. And we see that the, the companies that really knock it out of the park and we see do really well from our software, where, where the owner has actually got his head in the game and understands it rather than I believe we should have this and 
this guy over there is going to do it. Um, you know, they don't have to roll out the project. They don't have to be the ones training people. But if everyone looks at them and they're not using it, then they're going to say, well, why would I do it? And they won't embrace it fully. Um, leading on from that would be about that resource. Um, you don't have to put a full-time resource on with our software. You don't at all. But to have an internal champion that knows it all, you know, a lot of people fly up here to the sunny coast and spend a couple of days becoming that champion. They're always happy to do it. Malula Bar at the weekend isn't such a terrible place. Um, but to have that person that, that really understands it um, and can answer any questions internally speeds their process up. Um, we have full-time, you know, we've got a team of implementers here. Um, Chena, Stacy, and Andy, and all they do all day every day is teach people how to use the software. Uh, and, and we've also got a really good sort of uh, help center online. So anyone can learn to use this software. Anyone can get something out of it. But I'd say it really is about getting their buy-in normally um, through example. So is yeah. that just part of the agreement that you have with your customers? No, no, we just, um, we just put those guys on over time. We realized, um, so we don't have a sales team. We, we, we did in the past and we found that the sales team are focused on selling a product and they don't manage the customer expectations as well as they should. Um, so we realized that that just wasn't the go with us. That's not who we want to be. Considering most of our um, customers come on board through recommendations, something like 90% will be you know a referral, we need to hit the mark with them. We need to do exactly what we say we'll do. And if someone's selling a product, they don't always do that. Whereas um, if you phone up wanting to buy our software, you will get one of the implementers because they have to back it up. Because mm -hmm. in a week's time when you buy, they have to do exactly what they said it would do. Uh, and I love that. I, I love having that, that sort of, um, that level there that we know that they're not gonna tell you it does something that it doesn't do. Um, they're gonna tell you exactly what it does and then prove it to you later on. Yeah, that's a great strategy. I think you would probably scare a lot of implementation staff, professional services staff, if you told them they'll they technically part of the sales team yeah, now. Yeah, That's the culture you've built uh, up. Oh, over the, time. the conversation we had about it, um, obviously they're rewarded for when those things happen um, and, and they like that bit. And the conversation around that is, I, I don't want them to sell anything. All I want them to do is show them. Show the customer what we have and then it's their decision. If we are selling, if we are persuading, we're on the wrong line. Like we're a software company. If, if we have to persuade you to do something, then it's not gonna work. We can't, we can't you know, it, it's a partnership. We, we call ourselves a fleet technology partner because if you are not on the, on the journey, it will fail. Absolutely every time. You need to be invested fully. It's your money, it's your journey, it's your fleet. If you're not invested and we're saying, look, buy this, it'll all happen around you, it's not gonna work. Yeah, and a 90% referral rate, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty amazing stat. Hand. Yeah, it is good. Uh, it kind of, it, it gets a bit more complicated as you get bigger because the referral sort of um, percentages don't change, but the number coming in the door does. Um, and we, we uh, for anyone out there listening who, who, who've, who've unfortunately felt this from us, we, we have had to, you know, hold people off and, and say, we'll come back to you um, because we don't want to, we don't want to be that company that just churns through the customers. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got a pretty good bulletproof procedure of onboarding um, and, and training and implementing, and that can't be rushed. There's, you know, you can only do so much. Um, I also don't want to, you know, hire people that aren't fit for the job, and it's quite difficult getting decent people at the moment because you know wages are on the up. We've had to increase all of our wages. We've had to, you know, compete in in the market for people, um, and and. 
a lot of people are, oh, why don't you go over overseas? You could do this, you could do that. Even with the software developers, uh, you know, there'd be a, a quarter of the price of what we pay, but we wouldn't have what we have. And I'd say it's far more important to have this pure thing that, that works than a watered down version. You know, this is, my, this is my legacy, this is my company, this is my name. I don't want it to be that thing that just doesn't work anymore. Mm, yeah, mm. I love it, I love it. So let's learn a little bit more about Jim. Okay. So what were some of the challenges that you faced in the early days with the fleet office and how do they differ to the challenges that you face today? Oh, holy smokes. Um, none of it worked. That was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was, um, I think we had, a, we had a very small window to either make it or close. And, and the runway for us was the proceeds of that RAV4 of which most went onto the hardware couldn't get the hardware working the support for the hardware we bought um it wasn't fantastic until i kicked and screamed and then they came to the party and, and they were actually pretty good from there on and we you know we still we still use those guys quite a bit um but yeah it all i remember it all just not working and me lying in bed three in the morning wide awake thinking what have i done you know and having that moment of like no i'm gonna make it work i don't care i'm gonna make it work. i'm gonna figure this out and having an idea, riding on the notepad next to my bed, going to sleep, getting up, trying it. Oh, it didn't work. Same again. And that happened quite a lot and eventually got there. Um, I think if I was to do anything differently, I would have asked for more advice. I would have spoke to people. Because my, I, I had this mission in mind and I'm going to achieve this and I'm going to do that. And my head was down. I'm going to figure everything out. Uh, that was the wrong way to go about it. There are so many good humans out there who have been on the journey and, and, and now I'm on that side. If someone comes to me for advice, I, I love giving advice. I love helping people get you know their business up and running. I love that part of it. And I didn't understand that at the time. If I would have understood that, I would have asked more people for help. Um, unfortunately, I did just in time and there's some really good people that, that came in and gave me a hand. Mm. That's something I talk about quite a lot on the podcast, the, the power of networking. Mm. A lot of people think that if you reach out to Jim Lee, the owner of the fleet office or wherever it is, the CEO of a fleet company, that they won't speak to you. But a yeah, not at all. Like people want to provide advice and share knowledge. Yep. So I think it's something that I've always pushed to say, if someone has come on the Rental Journal podcast as a guest, add them on LinkedIn, send them a message, say you want to catch oh, up, definitely. whatever it is, like just sharing knowledge is you never know what comes out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when you do have a challenge in the future and you might have that connection, it, it's someone you can lean on. Absolutely. I, I, and I also think, you know, you get to a position where, you know, you're, you're comfortable, you know, and we, we're thankfully at that position. Um, it, it's taken a long time to get there, but whereby we know we're comfortable, we're a secure business, um, and you can start to look more holistically about what you're doing. Um, and when you get together with other people of the same mindset and you start to build things that are just good for the industry, that actually feels better. Um, sometimes they go hand in hand. You, you, you make a good dollar out of, out of doing that right thing as well. And, and that's when it all comes together. But, um, you know, that, that at this point in the business and my life, I guess, it is more about looking at it more holistically and go, well, what can we do that's actually really good here? How can we develop the industry? How can we make it safer as a big component of, of what we're doing now um, to bring everyone, no matter if, they're, if they hire out three trailers or they hire out a thousand rollers, to give them a basic level of compliance that allows them to compete moving forward. 
that world is going to become more complex as we go. No one's ever going to go, oh, let's make health and safety and compliance simpler. It's not how it works. It's about keeping people safer. So our baseline product is about that, giving them the plant hazard assessments, giving them the asset register, making sure that anyone can compete, can go and get that job, that they've got the right compliance materials in place to do it. Um, and that, that, that's a big thing because a lot of people charge a lot of money for that and that's our very base product. And for us to be able to do that for the industry is a real privilege. Mm, it's amazing. All right, so you spoke about the challenges in the early days. What's the challenges today? Oh, um, I tried to avoid that one, did you? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about something else. No, I think um, the challenges today are, are I guess, with our, with our customers that have been with us a while, we, we very quickly say yes and develop their ideas um, because that's how we have become what we are. We've got all these good ideas from industry. The more customers, the more ideas, it's impossible to sustain that level of development. Also, sometimes it's really hard to have a conversation with someone and say, look, this, you've got a very unique business, and for me to develop this thing you want will cost me around 50 grand. Um, do you want to chip in for that? And they're, oh, no, like we already pay subscriptions. Oh, we pay 300 bucks a month. That's, it's not going to cover the cost to build that thing that you want. Um, so sometimes it is quite hard to, to kind of... Um, uh, explain why development of something like that takes so much time and also before if there was a fix if there was a small feature it would be very quick for us to build and release because there weren't that many customers out there now with the amount of customers that are solely reliant on this are like really reliant we have to go through a minimum of a two-week testing process to release anything so if someone goes oh this would be great to have you're like well We'll build it, but it's two weeks to go through a full test and make sure that everything works. And then you're reliant on, um, you know, the Apple App Store to mm. get it right and release it right. And sometimes they don't. And and it doesn't matter if they've got it wrong. It's on us. Um, we rely on a lot of third parties. Clearly, we don't have cars going around taking photos of every road in Queensland, every speed limit. Um, you know, we rely on third parties there that sometimes let us down. All of a sudden, we've got the wrong speed limit on the, on the Bruce Highway and everyone's getting alerts. And, and things like that just happen. Um, I'd say they're not the sort of things that keep me awake at three in the morning anymore like they used to because it's, you know, if we let our customers down, they're instantly, they don't pay that month. That's how it goes, and, and I believe that's important. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're different problems, but mm. yeah, still a worry. Yeah, so talk me through in the previous days, staying awake at three in the morning, just really overthinking everything, mm -hmm. making sure that, like, you're getting everything to work. How did you get through that period? Um I think the the same reasons that I am that person that can't accept it not working or not getting where I want to get is, is why we're here. You know, if I would have been, oh, well, figure it out tomorrow, I think in many cases tomorrow would have turned into next week and next week would have turned into never uh, and we wouldn't be here now. I think um, I've probably pushed a lot of good people along the way. I'll admit that. Uh, I'd like to think that, you know, everyone who works for me gets rewarded very well as part of our, our team. And, you know, our staff have been here a long time and, and we are we are all very close. But I've probably pushed a lot of people um, alongside me. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think um, the only way to get through it is just to take that huge bite and keep chewing. Mm. I don't think there's any other way. There, there is no easy way. Yeah, but the, the only thing that ever bothers me that I've, I've heard from friends or colleagues or clients is, you know, the phrase, it's okay for you. You know, they look at me and, you know, it's okay for you. You've got this company, you've got this car. You know, 
it isn't and it hasn't always been okay for me there's been months where i've slept for a maximum of two hours a night and and, and going hard and there's been days where i wonder if i'm going to be able to pay my mortgage or if i'm going to be able to pay my employees which is even worse you know when covid hit that was i i had to sit in a hotel room and make a a, a plan of what happened at every stage and and the biggest tragedy for me was that i may have had to um let someone go who didn't serve it and to me that was unacceptable i i planned in for everything else selling our houses selling our cars did everything before i would have to do that but when covid hit i thought that that's a that's a reality i may have to come to that point in time where i let an employee go who doesn't deserve to go mm-hmm. um and you know having employees is an absolute privilege you know you owe them every day until payday and you're square and then the next day you owe them again up until the next payday and that's how i see it and and i think um you know another thing for our 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 guys here everyone who works here um gets a share of the profits everyone who works here then thinks as if they're a company owner and everyone will only really ask for the stuff they actually need and everyone every time they answer the phone to a client or customer they're answering the phone as if they're an owner in the business and i think that's that that helps too enormously because you know our clients as you would have read on our reviews and whatnot the reviews we get we paste them straight up on social media spelling errors and all because they're authentic reviews uh, and everyone said you know just everyone's so helpful um, and I, I saw that model back in the uk um, whereby uh, waitrose uh, a big supermarket they do the same thing and the customer service was exceptional if you went to that shop and you think is it because it's a little bit more expensive no it's because everyone there benefits from being that little bit better yeah. so yeah it's a good way good way of running the business it's That's also it. it's also um also leads to an insanely kind of outrageous christmas party because that's when we actually <laughs> we always have fun at christmas <laughs> i love it i love it so so you spoke about some people that were influential in the early days but who do you think was a mentor for you throughout your career um throughout the fleet office yeah. um i'd say you know i i really admire you know the, the gentlemen of the industry those people that don't seem phased um, by what people say and they're just kind and there's probably two people that really stand out for, for the longer term um, person that I've relied on a lot who's just kind of had my back really had my back since day one uh, would be Ian Coleman from Complant great guy phenomenal human um, just a real genuine um, guy the best thing about him and me being ex-military is no matter how bad it got he would rip the piss out of me nonstop, make me feel like an asshole, um, which I, I actually love about a never too serious, really good guy. Um, and, 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 and yeah, I, I, I would guess another one from that gentleman of the industry would be Tony Harton from, from Refueling Solutions, another guy who is just an absolute gentleman, happy to give you advice, happy to talk to anyone. Um, like you said earlier, you know, if you phoned him out of the blue and just said, hey, look, I've got this problem, he'd spend his time doing it. He's, he runs a very big, very, very busy business. Um, but would, those those two guys would always find the time. You know, Ian um, jumped on a plane in the very early days for, I think he flew from Sydney to the sunny coast. I picked him up at the airport. He was He was on the ground for about three hours, but it made all the difference to me to have the confidence to take that step and do it. Mm-hmm. And say, right, I've, I've had this chat with this guy. I really respect him. He believes in me. I'm going to do it. Let's do this. So yeah, there's some there's there are there are a lot of other people out there, and apologies for not naming them all, but there are so many good people in this industry that have kind of had my back, um, and and you know another another great guy on the coast here, Cameron Hall, um, very big, very very big business, very very busy, always got time, 
to have a chat with you you know a really really good human so i think that's you know that's the reason i'm still here and, and doing this and as well i'll always be doing it because those people that you're either catching up with in an event for a beer or you phone them up and asking the strangest question they'll give it their best go because they're, they're the best bloody humans in the world yeah i love it it complements an amazing organization second generation mm-hmm. um high quality like I think they got nominated for High Company of the Year this year. The, yeah, right. How's yeah. that comp plant? Yeah, I saw yeah. that on the list. So, yeah. Ian, uh, you have to come on the podcast soon, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, you're on the on. target list. Get him on. Do, do it without the video cameras, though, because it's an ugly bugger. <laughs> <laughs> you're like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so, that's So if you could give some advice to, to young Jim, oh, what would you say? My advice would probably be to... Um, I, I think... I think have a bit more faith. I think by having that little bit more faith would have taken the anxiety out of the journey a bit and I would have enjoyed the earlier parts of the journey. I, I learned that lesson probably a little bit later than I should have. Um, you know, now I will take the time to stop by the beach or get a coffee and, and, and you know, um, do the important things. There's a couple of things that I do now, uh, especially around the kids who obviously missed out on having me around for a bit there while we were, we were going the clappers and, you know, I, I I don't have my phone around them, only my, my Apple Watch. So if someone calls and I really need to speak to them, I can go and get my phone. But, you know, things like that. The, the, the little small things that you don't you don't realise until you really have to realise how important they are. So I'd, I would probably just say, you know, just don't take it all as seriously. It's it, it, it's going to be okay. You know, those, those events that happen where you think the world's ending, it's just in your head most of the time. People, people out there understand, you know, mm. they'll get it. You can have the chat and say, look, I'm really sorry that this happened. Oh, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen again, is it? Well, no, it's not. Now I've learned my lesson. Great. Get on with life. So, yeah, that, that would probably be the, the main thing. Yeah, as you would have got bigger, I'm assuming the challenges and, and, and hardships were harder and then the, the challenges prior would, would have seemed just like minuscule. Exactly right. It's yeah. like, why do we even care about why that? Why were we worried? <laughs> why did we stay up thinking about that? <laughs> no, absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. All right, the one you're a bit nervous about. So how do you define success? I think... I think success is when you find yourself in a position where you're, where you're doing your, your work, but you don't have to. If you are in that position where you're still doing that thing and you don't have to anymore for any reason whatsoever... You've, you've found success. You're in the right place. If that that work is no longer work, you know you are you are in that industry or that job or that role. For me, um, from a work point of view, that is success. Is is when you you do it and you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And is that something that you found? Like, did you realize that early in the early days, no. even when you were a fleet manager or no. TFO? Like, when did when did that realization kick in? Um, I I. Uh, it's quite strange. I um, went for a coffee one morning with my son before school. I chucked him on my shoulders and walked across the bridge near my house. And as I was doing that, it dawned on me right there and then. I, I was humming a little tune to myself, quite happy, and I thought, you know, I've made it to where I where I want to be doing this every day. I've made it to exactly where I want to be. And, and I remember the day. I remember the moment. And that was it. I thought, you know, that's, that's, that's success for me now. From here on out, it, it, it's not that thing I get to... 
you know, I, I think from that moment I grew as well. Uh, more confidence, more happiness. You know, people are more pleased to be around you because you don't have any anxiety or worries about it. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be the moment. That's amazing that yeah. you can pinpoint that exact oh, pinpoint, situation. Yeah. That's, that's so cool, isn't it? Like, I can even remember the song I was humming, but I'm not going to share that one. With you. <laughs> that's so good. All right, Jim. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you very much for having me.